So uh, we are, uh, we're going to start a new, like I said, we're going to start a new sermon series uh, today that is kind of, the idea for this is, came from two different kind of places of inspiration for me. Um, one was while I was on my sabbatical, one of the things that I did that, that kind of was for my own um, spiritual care and nurture was I drew um, I drew these drawings of uh, different Christians who have gone, um, who have done inspiring things, things that have inspired me throughout my life when I've learned their stories. And what I would do is as I would draw them, I would think about their story and I would pray to God to fill me with the same spirit that filled them. There's this really powerful line in one of Paul's letters, which I totally forgot to look up. So you have to look it up and prove that I I'm right. But um, there's this uh, place in one of Paul's letters where he's being challenged and he's being said uh, that uh, there are these like super apostles out there. And, and he's kind of his authenticity and his authority has been challenged by the church he's writing to. And he says something to the effect of, don't you know that the same spirit that fills these super apostles fills me and fills you? And so as I'm drawing these people who've done these remarkable and amazing and wonderful things, I'm not really thinking about them. I'm thinking about the spirit alive inside of them. Um, and so that was a really powerful experience for me to, to think about these people who've done just remarkable, unbelievable things that I could put them up on a pedestal and I could say, these are things that they've done that are just so incredible. They're just so much better than I am. Or I can recognize the God who lived within them and empowered them to do those things is the same God who has decided to make his home in me, in my heart, in my life. And so today uh, we are going to talk about that. And I've named this Windows to the Spirit Story um, because I thought the other inspiration was stained glass windows, which we have stained glass windows, but ours don't paint any kind of story. Most places, uh, or a lot of places, you'll go and you'll see stained glass windows that have these images that tell a story. There be biblical stories. They might be stories from church history, but they're these stories. And a lot of times, they are these stories from church history. And the idea is that it would be a window into this inspiring story for what the Spirit did in these people. Um, it's a record of the presence of God active in his church, active in his people, active in the people who have looked to him. And so we are. what we're doing is we're telling their stories. There are going to be eight different people, and we're going to tell their stories. And yet we will be telling the story of God's spirit throughout church history. I want to um, give you a, uh, a passage from that Jesus said uh, – that Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. Um, and he's, he's been explaining all these things about him going away and coming back and that he's going to suffer and die. He's explaining this to his disciples. He said, I have said all these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in me, in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And so the Spirit, Christ, dies, is resurrected, and ascends into heaven, right? And he leaves behind or grants or gives his Spirit. And the job of the Spirit is to equip and build up and strengthen and teach and explain and empower the church. 
And so when we go through these stories of church history, one of the reasons I love church history is because we're talking about the spirit story. When I, uh, many of you know that I, t- I teach a class at George Fox on church history. Some of you have taken that class. At least one of you is taking that class right now. Um, and one of the things that I, found, I find so powerful about church history is to find the story of God's activity, of God's life alive in his people. Church history is filled with dark, dark times. But I can promise you that for every dark time, there is at least one pierce of God's light. At least one person within whom the Spirit is stirring a different direction. The Spirit has always empowered His church. He has done exactly what Jesus has promised in John 14. He has taught and strengthened and encouraged and advocated for Jesus' way and Jesus' life. So, as a, a kind of an exp- I've given you that big explanation. Now I want to tell you about our first window today. Um, this woman named Felicitas. Felicitas, uh, I sat down and drew her, and then Abby colored her in because I am colorblind, and I was really terrified that I would make her green or something like that. So, uh, so I let her, I let Abby do that. Uh, but uh, so her story is just an, a powerful, powerful story. She died in the year 203. Okay, so Jesus dies in either the year 30 or the year 33. Okay, um, I won't go into why we know it's either one of those years, but just know it probably was one in one of those years. So, uh, 170 years later, um, she is alive and she is a Christian in North Africa, and she's the handmaiden of another uh, Christian whose name was Perpetua. Perpetua was uh, a very rich and prominent um, woman in Carthage, the city that they lived in, and Felicitas worked in her home. So Perpetua is a Christian, and Felicitas is also a Christian. Now what happens is, is that some way, we don't know exactly how, but some way they are accused of being Christians. Now at the time, anybody who was a Ro- lived in the Roman Empire when they were accused of being a Christian, they had a choice. They had to do one of two things, uh, or they had to do two things, and then uh, they could get out of the consequences of being a Christian. The two things that they had to do were they had to deny the divinity of Christ. Okay? They had to dev- deny the lordship of Christ, and they had to offer incense to the image of the emperor and worship him. Okay? These are two things that you cannot possibly do and be a Christian, right? You can't deny Christ and worship a, uh, a figure, an, any other figure. And so the Romans had devised this way. We know that we can keep you from being a Christian if we will force you into doing these things. And the penalty, if you denied doing those things, if you held to your conviction that Christ was Lord and you did not worship the emperor, the uh, punishment was death. And the punishment was not just any death. It was a, uh, uh, a public spectacle death. This is the Colosseum, right? Every Roman city, cities, big cities, had a Colosseum of some kind. And in the Colosseum were things that you and I would probably never pay a ticket to go and see, where these Christians would be publicly executed and tormented. I won't go into all of the details of that, since we don't have children's church today. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not great, obviously. It's horror is what it is, public horror. 
And uh, so Felicitas, when she and Perpetua are arrested and they refuse to deny Christ and they refuse to offer incense to the image of the emperor, they are sentenced to death. And Felicitas at the time is pregnant and she is eight months pregnant. And uh, the Christians gather around her because there were a number of them, about I think about 10 of them that are all accused and sentenced to death at the same time. The Christians gather around her and they pray that God will cause her to go into labor because they don't they don't want uh, it was it's kind of slightly complicated. But uh, essentially, they wanted the baby to be um, out of her at the time of execution. And so the day before the execution is to take place, she goes into labor. And uh, it's explained um, in the story that is written about her that the labor was especially painful, especially intense, especially horrifying. Um, I, I've witnessed such a thing. It's not very cool. <laughs> yeah, when labor is intense, when labor is crazy, uh, well, in my experience, I felt very small and insufficient. Um, <laughs> but she, she's going through this pain and this torture of labor. She's uh, giving, giving birth, and there's this guard, this Roman guard who's standing in there and watching her, and he decides to taunt her. And he says this to her. He says, you suffer so much now. What will you do when you are tossed to the beast's? Little did you think of them when you refused to sacrifice, when she refused to give this incense to the, to the emperor that somebody's talking about when she refused to worship Caesar. In other words, oh, look how weak you are. You're all screaming because you're giving, a, uh, giving birth. What are you going to be like when you're in the Colosseum? You should have thought this through. This is her response. What I am suffering now, she replied, I suffer by myself. But then another will be inside me who will suffer for me, just as I shall be suffering for him. There's this profound faith on the part of Felicitas that when she goes into the Colosseum to give her life, when the life is taken from her, that she will not be alone. This, uh, when, you, when you draw a Christian from the past, one of the things that you typically do is is pick a word or pick some kind of Greek word or theme from Scripture that this person embodies somehow. And so this word up here is the Greek word Emmanuel, which is the same in English, <laughs> and it has the same meaning, God with us. And so that the image of Felicitas is meant not to draw to her any, any prestige, any undue honor. It is for us to look at her and to see God with her. And to be reminded that God, too, shall be and will be and can be and is devoted to be with us, even in the horror of a Colosseum. Her friend, uh, Perpetua, had a, a dream the night before the execution where Christ came to her and he said this in her dream that she had. Do not be afraid. I am here struggling with you. So these Christians who gave their lives, these Christians who refused to be moved away from their core convictions about who Jesus was, they did so not because they were uh, incredibly courageous, but because Christ was courageous within them. They did so because Christ 
was ministering to them. They did so because of Emmanuel. That's why we read that scripture this morning of Christ being born, where the, the angel says uh, to Joseph, you know, first of all, you'll, you'll name him Jesus, but he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. I love that theme from Christmas. We're not that far from Christmas, so you'll hear me say this again, no doubt. But it's not God against us. It's not God over there. It's not God back here. It's God with. So the question that I want us to ask and answer today is, what do you need God to be with? Obviously, none of us are going to go into a coliseum. <laughs> none of us are uh, probably ever going to be tortured or, uh, or lose our life because of our faith, though it could happen. But now, in this moment, what can, we re what can you be reminded that Jesus seeks to be with you? What kind of things are you suffering that you can be reminded by Felicitas that Christ seeks to suffer alongside of you? Where do you need his presence? Where do you need his steadfastness? In Hebrews uh, 11, right, uh, the author of Hebrews tells this, the story after story of the people who walked by faith, right? People who lived by faith, stories of Abraham and David and these, these uh, heroes of the Old Testament. And then he says in the beginning of, of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, therefore we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? That these people, their testimony is to witness to us as we remember their stories to tell us, God will do this for you too. God will be alongside you. God seeks to suffer with you, for you, alongside you, within you. God seeks, Christ seeks in his spirit to do in you what he did in Felicitas. The, uh, and I... She, um, she stands as many, many, many people who could, in the chorus of church history, say to us, Christ shall not leave you. He shall be with you forever and always, even unto the end of the age. I've told you many of my own stories. I've told you many, many times about things that I've ached for, things and times and seasons where I've been in such pain. And what I found is that Christ doesn't always make it go away. Christ didn't take the Colosseum from Felicitas, but he promised to be with her in the midst of it. Right? So the promise isn't, uh, yea, I will never walk through the shadow of death because of you, it's though I walk through the shadow of death. You art with me. Thou art with me. My staff and thy rod, they comfort me. There is this sense that as we move through this life, Christ shall be devoted to us. As we put our faith in him, as we trust him, as we trust his spirit and his promise to give his spirit to us, he stands alongside us. His presence endures in a way that no one or anything else ever can. So what I want to invite you to do today as we sing, um, 
as we sing these songs, I want you to, to pray. I want you to ask God, where do I need you? Where, where am I closed off to you? Where am I in need of your presence? And as you kind of come to that decision with Jesus, whereas you, as you feel a sense of this is what I need, this is where I need you, this is what I'm suffering, this is a sense of whatever that is, I want you to come up and, uh, and just write. There's markers. You can write whatever it is. And, uh, and then in one of these window panes, and then there are a bunch of crayons. I know that you may feel like that's something that children do. But sometimes we really need a thing to do, to hold it in our hands, to put it on a board, to write it down, to do it in front of others as just a, a way of making it more real. Because too often, I bet you've done this, you sit in the pew and you, you come to this great realization and, and decision before God and you don't say anything to anybody and then you walk out and you've forgotten it by lunchtime. Sometimes we need to, to kind of Re rehearse whatever it was that we came to that experience, whatever experience we had. So I invite you to do that. You can also do it after the service is over if, if it would be easier for you or you'd be less um, intrusive. And so I'd like to pray now and then the worship team will come and we will continue to, to worship and to, to seek God's presence. Let's pray. Jesus, you... You are so glorious. You're so true and so right and so kind. Who are we that you are mindful of us? I am sure that Felicitas was a sinner. I am sure that Felicitas had doubts. I am sure that Felicitas had pains and aches. And yet in her faith you stood by her. And we praise you for that. We thank you for your steadfast faithfulness to her and to so many Christians throughout these two millennia that we have journeyed in following you. And God, we pray now that you would just stir within us a place or an experience or a situation in which we need your presence in which we need to seek you further, in which we need to let you uh, open ourselves to you standing alongside us. You are Emmanuel. What a glorious and wonderful promise. So many different cultures and religions have lived in um, separation, a sense of separation from their their beliefs about who God is, what good news, what gospel that the one and true God is with us. Thank you. We praise you. We adore you. We love you. And we want more of your presence. Make us open to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.